Hello there and thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. I'm Daniel Charles and I'm the host of the YouTube channel Son of Chelsea where I upload daily videos about the club I love. On this feed are all my regular shows from Added Time, my weekly Q&A where I answer questions from my audience, Let's Talk Chelsea where I discuss the latest and biggest stories surrounding the club and my match review series The Rational Perspective plus the Every Other Saturday podcast where I speak to interesting guests about their love for Chelsea. It's all here and all free for you to enjoy. All the podcasts on this feed can be viewed in video format if you so wish on my channel. And if you'd be so kind to subscribe and like the videos, that would be greatly appreciated too. Also, one last thing. If you like what you hear, please rate and review the pod on your provider because that really helps too. But for now, thank you and up the chels. Hello there guys, what is going on? Son of Chelsea back here again for another video, another podcast as well and another great Chelsea guest. I've had this guest on several times on the channel. He's a brilliant guest to have. Uh, I really respect this guy because he sticks to his guns, he cares about what he says and as well on top of that I think he cares about integrity with what he says in his arguments and, and what he puts across when he talks about Chelsea and puts a lot of thought before uploading and that, that's really an ethic I, I respect and, and want to follow myself. So Nini, great to have you back on the channel, mate. It's great to have you back as well after a good run of form because I think last time we spoke, we weren't at the best time. I can't, I can't quite remember, but you know, it's, it's great yeah. to be speaking after some good performances. I mean, yeah, man. Um, obviously, thanks for the kind words. Obviously, you put a little smile on my face. I wasn't expecting that, but uh, yeah. <sighs> to be honest, I'm not really surprised. I just knew what we were building towards and what we had to uh, wait to see, and and it was quite obvious that once we see a lineup that has all our new signings playing because they weren't signed to compete with the score. These guys were signed to upgrade the team, you know? Once we see them play together, that's when you can really assess whether Lampard is doing something positive here or if he doesn't know what he's doing. So it was just this typical, uh, you know, reactionary responses, which I do understand as a fan because every time, every week, every every week comes, you know, you're anticipating a Chelsea game, you're excited to see the team, you want to see that growth. I mean, of course, but we have to respect how the game works. These things take time. When managers like Lampard, Pep, Klopp, etc., talk about this, they're not making excuses up. You know, this is real life. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I hope what I'm hoping up from this outcome is that now, hopefully, some perspective. Like perspective changes are going to be had by some people and maybe some newfound understanding of the game because I feel like if maybe we were a bit more positive as a fan base, especially online, during that period of understanding, like, okay, you know, we're building towards this. We haven't seen X, Y, Z. I can't really be too harsh in the team when not, nothing is, is perfect at this point in time. I feel like maybe our form could have been even better, but... Uh, yeah, that's that's my take on it, man. You know that I'm a a bit uh, cynical when it comes to uh, <laughs> like uh, fan bases these days. Yeah, yeah, no, I I can understand it, and and especially the nature of this season, how rapid it is, like how many games there are. There isn't many times this season, I think, especially for Chelsea involved in the Champions League, that you're going to get a free week to sort of think about a game from Saturday to Saturday. You, yeah. you know, there's it feels at the moment, at least with the Champions League group games, it's every couple of days and your your emotions can change rapidly within a space of days. You could be feeling quite high and then feeling a little bit low after a performance. But luckily, Chelsea's consistency in the past week since the October international break, with the exception of the Southampton game. I mean, the improvement since then has been incredible. It really has. I mean, we broke our record from 10 years ago, first time five clean sheets in a row in all competitions. Um, and that's, you know, if you take out the Southampton game, game and you put the Crystal Palace performance in there as well you know I think it becomes more impressive in terms of the, the personnel involved in that back four I mean 
of course, we've got to talk about Thiago Silva. I mean, we I think the last time you were on the channel, we spoke about Silva as a signing, it being a more pragmatic, opportunistic signing and the concerns over the long term sort of longevity. And that, that hasn't changed. I think we... I think all of us expect this is only going to last about two years, right? At best, yeah. two years. Yeah. But the influence he's had, I mean, to me, it feels like having JT back in that defence. Do, do you feel the same? Yeah, uh, 100%. Uh, I think that was the impact. I, I kind of knew that Thiago was going to have. Um, I was kind of hoping he would bring that because it was quite obvious that one of the major criticisms from last season was the lack of communication at the back. You know, no one was taking control of that back line. I think that with our team, of course, having so many friendly characters, yeah, it's great as why we're so united. But, you know, sometimes you need to have certain figures in a team that are going to take responsibility, that are going to control the group of players and have, you know, someone that can really just, like, mentally boost the players around them too. You know, with Thiago Silva, he is that guy that will control the back line. You know, he is going to say, go here, go there, go there. And I think for a certain players, in particular Kurt Zuma, he's always really gone to a different level when he has played alongside a John Terry or a defender that does that part that just allows Zuma to focus on the, you know, pure defensive part, the, you know, that's like the complementary figure for the team, basically. So no surprise that in our defence now, you've got Thiago Silva who starts the attacks from deep, who finds these guys between the lines, who has the quality to, uh, you know, find the, uh, the, the fullbacks out by two, because the, what is the important thing? Over the years, we've seen, you know, inconsistent quality where, you know, certain switch balls, which have to be played just like that on point, aren't being met. And I think we even saw that yesterday from Jorginho, how many times were balls being played off the park. And you're just thinking, there's no surprise that we weren't going to be a top four team or a title winner when you have players who are getting the fundamentals wrong like this. So having Thiago there... Massive Zuma. I mean, one on one v one. I don't remember. I mean, not many people ever get past him. I think it's very rare to even remember the last time that happens. Airily, no one can really stop him because stats have proven over years he's one of the best, if not the best, alongside Van Dyke. Airily, and he has the pace and he's a good tackler who doesn't give away fouls. And alongside that, you now have the perfect fullbacks you need. You know, if we're a team that isolates the fullbacks because they have to play that important part to help, you know, stretch the play. Um, create space between the lines. We tried doing that last season, but we couldn't because we don't have the personnel who are good enough to do that. Because, of course, when you play a high-level football, you need to have high-level players to do that. It's just the maths of how football works. So now we have both Ben and and, uh, and Reese, guys who are comfortable by themselves, guys who contribute to the midfield because they can tuck in, guys who have exceptional distribution and passing quality. And of course, excellent timing of runs, quick move, you know, they release the ball very quickly. They're not holding on to it. I mean, it's no surprise that when you add all these elements up alongside a composed, calm keeper who, you know, you can see his goalkeeping excellence already, you know, at, We've seen some fantastic saves. And to be honest, I think I've just been so used to seeing Kepa making mistake after mistake after mistake. A lot of times when teams have found opportunities against Mendy in my head, I've just told myself, OK, this is a goal down. So every time he's made a save, it's just like, what? You know what I mean? And it's made, it's made me realise the quality that we've been lacking in this area for such a long time. So it's just how football works, man. You know, to improve, you need to sign better players or get your better players working alongside better players. I think there are small things within Thiago Silva's game and, and I think he's the best one to look at because it, it, I think, of course, Mendy as well in goal. That's a massive thing and we'll get to Edouard Mendy because 
the transformation in that area as well has been key for Chelsea. But I think in the sense of Silva and the knock-on effect of his sort of pedigree and leadership and danger awareness to all the other players has definitely improved, say, Kurt Zuma. But it's small things within his game. Like there was a moment where... I think it was in the second half where I, I can't remember who it was. I think it may have been Emerson was like kicking a ball and it was up high in the box and uh, it could have been one of those dangerous moments where Mendy had to pick it up and it was a looping ball right on yeah, top of it. Yeah. And Silva just literally, and it's a very basic thing, but he just put himself between Mendy and the striker of Ren. Just, yeah. And that's like game intelligence pedigree there that like years of experience that you just, it's a cliche, but you can't teach that stuff. That's the sort of stuff that JT would do over and over. Why is that player always in the right place at the right time? We say the same about great strikers, right? Being in the yeah. right place at the right time. The, the defenders yeah. are the same. 100%. And it's how these guys think and read the game. I mean, John Terry, you know, for me, because like I was fortunate enough to just watch John Terry play like every week, you know, I mean, for me, the greatest defender I've seen in my life um just like an incredible player. Just seeing how he defends, you know, at times it can make me a bit too harsh with other defenders once you see what the very best looks like. And with, with John Terry, one thing I used to love about him was how uh, how he used to think that was the most important thing. You know, his the way he prevented danger. You know, he could understand when it was going to come uh, beforehand. And an example of that was, for example, um, let's say someone's 1v1 with our keeper and they round him. Terry... His first instinct every single time in moments like that wasn't to run to catch a defender. It was to run back into the goal, knowing that, okay, I'm going to make it as hard as possible for you to score this goal right now. And I just think that, you know, those types of, uh, you know, that that type of thinking, that's what really boosts the team even more. And I think that influences a lot of players as well. So Thiago Silva can only have a positive influence. And I think to have a guy like this here, now when we have... So many like stupidly ridiculous young talented defenders right now. I mean, Mbiamba, Colwell, Simeu, Gai. I mean, Tomori. I mean, to learn from Thiago Silva, yeah, unreal signing, unreal signing. It really is, and and there was so much talk in the, in the summer about Chelsea not investing heavily on our defense, but we have invested heavily on our defense. You know, we have. But it's yeah. just maybe not in the massive fees we spent on the attackers, but, but we, we didn't have, have to. We didn't yeah. have to. There was an opportunity there with Thiago Silva. I think he's adding, at least for the short term, and, and as you've just stated, all those centre-backs there, I think, I don't know if you mentioned Melanxar. Melanxar is another one of these players that is a win. I, I, yeah, I think it's yeah. a win-win. I don't know if you want to discuss about Melanxar because I think that's a very, it's a win-win situation for Chelsea because if he turns out to be a brilliant player, happy days, we've signed him for free, he comes into the first team. If he doesn't, Chelsea are guaranteed a profit on him and he probably gets sold to a European team for a decent fee. So exactly. like, you know, it's, it's smart business. Himself. It's it's yeah, it's, it's, it's a business. It's almost it a self-fulfilling prophecy in it in terms of that business. But I think when we look at this defence, we look at the balance within this team now um, and that improvement, you naturally think with the attack we have, could a league title be on the cut or at least a, a title charge? Because I know when we spoke over pre-season, you were very confident and adamant, more than I was, in terms of the ability of, of us to challenge for a title, maybe quicker than we thought. I mean... The Premier League has been ridiculous so far this season, right? It's been very hectic. I don't yeah. know if it's about to calm down, maybe, over the winter period. Um, what are your thoughts sort of assessing the, the nature of the Premier League, but also Chelsea's chances in potentially winning a Premier League? I do think that teams now are starting to show a bit more uh, form and fitness. I think especially the tactical understanding from a lot of teams too. I don't think everyone's perfect just yet, but uh, it's starting to slowly get uh, to those measures right now. And um, to be honest, I do think that 
when we did all our business in the summer, there was a real understanding and preparation of what to expect. I mean, you know, when you're in a position like this, managing a club, you're thinking about the future and how to prepare for it. I mean, you know, every month you're talking, you're looking at your, uh, your, your the clubs you're playing against during that month, how you're going to prepare, how you're going to travel, how you're going to plan to do X, Y, Z. So I think those same principles still apply. And, um, you know, I always kind of felt like due to the signings we made, because they really complement the system and how you want to play and each other, I felt like this would give us an advantage in the sense that it wouldn't take them too long to understand each other's game. Because, you know, a lot of times with football clubs, I mean, Man United, for example, you know, we're seeing that they just sign the names and the, the individual without thinking about how the whole team is going to benefit and work with that. I mean, I'm broadly reading their criticisms about Bruno Fernandes, which doesn't surprise me because, you know, his inefficiency on the ball. And then when you have guys alongside like Pogba and Matic, how is that midfield complimenting all the time? It doesn't work. You know, Van der Beek is the solution to that. But then are you going to get rid of Bruno after you spent 54? So this is what I mean. You put yourself in stupid situations because there's no proper planning. And that was one thing that Lampard's alongside Petr and other people at the club all works together to uh, to bring and but benefiting from that. So I do think that we can continue this. I mean, anything can happen. What if like, we lost like key injuries, like I don't know, like Kante again or Ziyech or, or something crazy? And then, yeah, I mean, things can happen. But I do think that right now, as we're seeing already, especially after seeing that 4-3-3, all the players understand each other's game. Every, every, everything's uh, everyone's complimenting each other. The football's quicker. Everything's more one touch, two touch now, more uh, in t- intensity as well. And I do think that, yeah, knowing that we can also invest in January again, something could happen this season. I, I don't know if we're necessarily. I can't say we're guaranteed to win it, but we're gonna be there. You, we're still gonna be in people's mouths come the end of the season, basically. Yeah, it, it feels like that. And I think, you know, the next few weeks, I think, are crucial because you look at the upcoming games, uh, Sheffield United and Newcastle, two games, two exact games. You know, I like to look at the games we had against these teams last season and sort of compare yeah. how we're doing, if we've improved or if we've regressed against identical fixtures, basically. Yeah. We drew against Sheffield United at home last year. And of course, as we always do, we lose at St. James's Park. I mean, Chelsea have a chance in these next two games before Spurs at home to really gain on last season in terms of an improvement, in terms of points return. Yeah. Um, I feel like that Spurs game is going to be an interesting one because based on their form, based on our potential form, that could almost be a bit of a top-of-the-table clash in, in a sense. Um, yeah. and, and I think then you can get a better judgment of where we are because even if we win our next two games, there'll be people who turn around and go, well, you know, Chelsea should have won those games. I think once our defence is up against Bale, Kane, Son, you know, then you can make a firm judgment of where we are. Um, On that sort of development in terms of uh, defensively, um, we spoke about personnel and obviously that's fair and obviously that's, that's key. But do you think Frank Lampard... And his coaches are not getting enough credit because I think if you're going to criticise Lampard about his lack of defensive sort of intelligence or structure, yeah. I think you've got to, you know, just because we've seen obviously improvement. And as you've stated, Thiago Silva, an amazing player to bring in. Mendy, clearly the right player to bring in. Chirwell, the same. But surely Lamps has got to get some credit for this, in my opinion. I mean, of course, him and the coaching staff, because, you know, people kept making making the mistake that every time a mistake happened, that would lead us to, you know, a goal being conceded, that was automatically Lampard's fault, as if, like, when you teach the team how to defend, you're, you're teaching them how to defend in, like, hypothetical moments that could happen in a game. I mean, Burnley do things like that, but we're, we've got bigger ambitions. We have better players. We don't have to 
reduce ourselves to that type of prevention-only style of football, which is, doesn't make any sense when you're signing big players like this. So, you know, I, I think it's just like this common thing today where, uh, you know, it's a lot of like entitlement, a lot of uh, reactionary opinions. And I do think a lot of it comes from like not understanding the game. You know, I think people with football, you can get a base level of enjoyment, but there is a lot of depth that goes to why you're getting pleased by the sport. It's not just 11 random guys, just boom, instant chemistry, making things happen. There's a lot of preparation and work and drilling and pattern plays and, and coaching and drills and repetition, you know, and then you need tons and tons of repetition to do anything. So, you know, I feel like from this period, I'm just praying that a lot of people that were super critics for no reason might have a bit more perspective now when it comes to seeing the bigger picture, because I think, that's what we're doing everything for is for the bigger picture so you know that's how i kind of like feel about things and yeah i think the coaching staff i mean i saw the improvements from the start of the season is it my is it their fault that players made stupid individual mistakes to put us under pressure of course not i mean you can't do anything about that other than maybe turn to the market to solve that solution so i, I thought a lot of it was quite unjust and unfair but I think now we're starting to see the uh, all the the benefits of this work we've done with our pressing. I think we look a lot more organised. I think now we finally look like a team that can have you know sit in a low block and actually still out a win and actually do something. I like that, for example, the Burnley game. You know, you mentioned that you like to compare how we played last season to this season. I did the same thing. See, now we beat Burnley last season. Yeah, we scored goals, but it came on the transition. How we beat them this season was instant control and domination playing against the low blocks playing them open with ease left right and center and that's just like another example of that improvement but there was one moment in that game to really just like emphasize how much we've improved defensively as a team and how i mean how many points i feel we are going to get as as games do uh seal out that game versus burnley lampard took of kai he moved kansai further forward as like the defensive box-to-box guy they're exactly the type of player you'd want in the final 20 minutes of the game. And then you brought on Jorginho, probably another player you'd want against a title position who's just going to keep the ball moving quickly and take out a pressure. So I just think that, you know, Lampard didn't just stumble upon this. There's been a plan from the start, but unless you have a full-strength team from the start, then actually it's going to take time to see it. So, yeah. There seems to be like an enjoyment about this team now in terms of defending. I don't know if you feel the same. Like there's a there's a sense that this team, like even in periods in the game against Wren last night, um, I think it was the first half before the second goal, which really, of course, killed off yeah. the game. Really, um, there there was this period where Wren sort of were in the game, but unlike last season, there was never a moment where I was like freaking out because it, last season, any time we let you know a <laughs> let a corner yeah. for the opposition or a free kick into the box you know, you were bricking it. You felt we're in trouble yeah. here. And, and there was a period at the back end of last season where, I'm not kidding, there was about two or three game period that every ball that went into the box was a heart in the mouth moment for Chelsea fans. It's not that much trouble for Chelsea. And I think in terms of Mendy, in terms of really dominating his area, I think I think that's a big thing for Chelsea. And I, and I want to move on to Mendy because he's been such an influential figure over recent weeks. Um, I don't think any of us, I think a lot of us hoped based on the numbers, you know, I was not an expert on Mendy, but looking at, Report, scout reports about him, the numbers look good, but you never know how a player's going to adapt to the Premier League and being a Chelsea player. I mean, he's been exceptional. I mean, he really has. I mean, other than that stray pass against Man United, he's been mm. faultless so far. Um, did you expect he was he would be this good or, or have this much of an impact or, or, you know, just generally your thoughts on Mendy so far? 
to be honest, man, I really felt confident by signing when Petr Cech and Oleshon were both really pushing to sign this guy and really being adamant about it. So, I mean, I was like, okay, I trust these experts. Obviously, they both came from Ren themselves. And if they think that this guy has the personality, then of course, I'm going to trust their judgment 100%. And, you know, even the numbers supported that. You know, Mendy's overall game was great. And yeah, I know that the numbers were kind of used against him. But I think sometimes when you just focus on your numbers, you forget the context. You know, Ren don't play the same way we do. You know, so of course, naturally, the numbers and stats are going to be skewed. But it's about seeing what they do in the moments. You know, it's about seeing what they bring with their qualities. And then... Seeing if it's if it's gonna complement what you're doing, and yeah, Mendy's coming. He's done that. I mean, his communication's been great. The way he commands, you know, that confidence to attack balls early. You know, he's incredible handling. When he's parrying shots, he's parrying it away out of the danger zone. Just you know, with and 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 the anticipations of knowing where the ball's kind of gonna be. I just think that uh, you know, these are the type of signings I think us fans love. It's not about needing to sign like a keeper for a hundred million. Yeah, our black. A nice thought, but realistically now, I mean, would you say that Oblak has is worth eighty million more than a Mendy? Of course not. And I really do think that as this season goes on, I think that Mendy's influence is going to be noticed even more. And yeah, I just think that this was just a great uh, example of you know why we should turn. My managers need to listen to their coaches more. You know, I mean. They looked at the stats, they analysed the issues with the team, they looked for uh, the certain criteria to meet their needs, and, and in came Edouard Mendy. So, you know, great for us, for the fans who don't have to suffer anymore with terrible goalkeeping mistakes and decisions because, you know, it was getting so bad that even when Kepper, I mean, Kepper's mostly just been terrible or bad. And it was getting to a point where even when Kepa was bad, there was like excuses still being made for that in terms of like, you can still do something when, you know, I, I think unfortunately I've seen like, obviously I, I've been watching us since I was young. I've seen us make big money signings. And the reality is if they don't kind of step up in, if you don't see enough of them in like the first handful of games, it kind of does summarize how their career is going to be. It's not very often that, uh, you know, you can be good one season and terrible the last season. With Kepa on Dasari, the main reason why he looked decent was because we were a much more defensive team that didn't allow any shots on goal. You know what I mean? So it's natural that teams couldn't be in those dangerous areas where they could be affecting our goal. But when they were able to, he was still conceding those goals left, right and centre the same. So yeah, Mendy coming, upgrades and we're just infinitely better for it now. We are, and just look at the stats. Five clean sheets in a row, six clean sheets in a row for Mendy, including the Crystal Palace game. Yeah. He's the first goalkeeper to have that clean sheet record in yeah. his opening games uh, for Chelsea since, of course, Petr Cech. So I think that just shows you the impact of Mendy. Well like, I, I think it was I think it was like small moments once again I spoke to you about like the Thiago Silva moment in, in and I know this isn't a small moment but like I think it just shows you the improvement and we can look at the saves against Man United, the reaction save against Sevilla, Big moments right in games, uh, um, but it was that Krasnodar game where, where the game was 1-0 and we were under pressure and, and the ball got lashed on the, I think it was the crossbar, wasn't it? And I don't even think Mendy really got a hand to it, but what I loved about him was it was a moment where you felt if Kepa was in the same situation, Chelsea were in trouble. The fearlessness yeah. of the way Mendy 
got hold of a dangerous situation and took control of it. That's the point of a goalkeeper, but it's just like, yeah. it shows you that night and day in terms of yeah. impact, you know, yeah. and, and the fact that I'm, I'm taking control of this situation and I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure we don't concede. There was a sense yeah. that with Kepa and that def- defence, the lack of trust that Kepa would have probably hesitated to come and maybe Zuma would have looked at him and gone, what are you doing? Yeah. And then, you know, it yeah. could have it turned out into a farce. But with Mendy... There's a sense now that there's a chemistry there. I don't know if the, if it's the French connection. Yeah, it's definitely that. It's definitely that French connection in the back line as well. I think, uh, and of course, the personality too. I think Mendy signed for us at the perfect age where, you know, this guy is, he, he's come right from the bottom to get where he is. I mean, over the past consecutive seasons, he's been making a step up after step up after step up. And I think uh, a reality is to play for a big team too. You need to have built that mental fortitude and confidence in your own game that can't be ruined by, you know, like injuries affecting you or managers or whatever. And I think the personality plays a massive part. But, um, you know, it's a bit of a shame for Kepa. I think the reality is when you come for like a record price, you know, it it brings expectations from not only the fans, but your teammates. You know, okay, we invested this type of money on you. What are you here to bring? And in a very high competitive game where we're looking at the top 1% footballers in, in the Premier League and top divisions, you know, they're not going to be too sympathetic if you're going to cost them points due to X, Y, Z errors. And it's a shame because I'm, I can't confidently say Kepa is terrible, not good enough for this league or for us. I do think that maybe that career move came a bit too soon. I think what clubs do where they look at a keeper like a Kepa, he has one great season and it's enough to buy, you know, maybe this model's a bit stupid because we've seen, you know, unless you're really going to have patience and really, really give them that time to grow, then you're wasting everyone's time basically. And, you know, that move in the first place with that type of money was just a saving face. And I hope that we never do that type of nonsense again, to be honest. I think it was such a, it was a unique situation because Chelsea had to move and make a move. So they were sort of, it's the worst case scenario yeah. to be where, of course, a lot of that came down to Thibaut Courtois and that whole situation yeah. at the same Crazy. time. But Crazy. you felt, I, I remember really saying about it where you felt like Chelsea could have acted a bit sooner, you know, and been a bit more proactive months before to go, okay, Courtois, are you signing or you're not? You know, if you, you're staying with us or you're not. If you're not, like by before the end of the, the Conte season, then we'll get someone else, you know, That's and that. start That's planning. It. You know, I think that just because I think I fooled myself a lot of the time excusing Chelsea that, well, it was a deadline day. They had to do something when actually, as we've seen this year, Chelsea putting so much long term planning in place years yeah. ahead of transfers that if this becomes available, if this player becomes available, we're in for him and we get him done yeah. and we get him ready for, the, for, for, for when we need him. So I think that's a real positive. Um, yeah, man. Do you, do you think Chelsea can get any money for Kepa? I mean, it's going to be difficult because when's he going to play? That's that's the thing, isn't it? In terms of I mean, instead of, of Mendy, of course. I think unfortunately, because even with how he started this season, you can't really trust him. I, I think the plan originally was to give him the European games just to get that confidence boost and keep the monetary value. But I think the reality is, when you're a big club, sometimes you know you got to account for the loss somehow. If this means that we can't sign a player, big deal. We've got an amazing academy. We can still, you know what I mean? We're not in a position where it's going to affect us because we, we bought the core. We bought the core for the team now. So any signings we need to make are just going to be just little small ones or replacements for other players that leave. So I think right now, uh, you know, we're in a position where we can probably cover, cover the loss of Kepa 100%. And hopefully for Kepa's sake, you know, he does 
regain this form and confidence back. Uh, the reality is, is that when you play sports and because we're all like humans, sometimes, you know, you can be a, a hugely promising goalkeeper and then a moment can happen in your career that, that can be hard for you to mentally get over and, and deal with. I think that's just the reality of, of, of life with any type of work with, with everyone. So, you know, unfortunately, in very high pressure like jobs like being a football player, there's no sympathy from anyone. And I think maybe that's why these situations never get better because, uh, yeah, you can never get back once it kind of breaks from the start. So, you know, I'll, I'll sympathise for him. And, you know, I do feel bad for someone like my scathing critiques, especially understanding, like, you know, Kepa has shown that he has the ability because we've seen it in isolated periods, like an incredible save or, you know, he leaves his goal line really early to do the right thing. But it's just about consistently using the right techniques at the right time. And I think it's the mentality which stops him from breaking that and going to the next level. So it's a shame for him. But uh, yeah, hopefully uh, go back to La Liga. Hopefully they can find him. Hopefully we're not going to ask him too much money because no one's going to pay not even 50% of his wages. That's the reality. So it's a sicky one. (laughs) It is, but I think, you know, Lampard has to be ruthless. You know, what do you do? Do you keep on sympathising? You know, Lampard, I think, has given Kepper enough chances. He's given him enough time to break back into the first team. I don't think Kepper can realistically turn around and go, you haven't given me a chance. You know, you've just thrown me out. And apparently, uh, Matt Law was saying this, that, Kepa's uh, team thinks that Lampard has dealt with him well. At least that's what they were saying over the summer. So at least that's, you know, a positive that I think Frank's a good man manager. And I think Frank, I think Gary Neville said this opening after the opening day, you know, against Brighton where Kepa made that mistake where you've got to be ruthless as a coach, you know. And we look at recent years with Pep with, uh, who was it in goal? The first year he replaced, I can't remember his name, but Claudio Bravo. Bravo. He got rid of Hart, but Bravo, of course, cost him in the first season and he eventually got Edison. And then you look at Klopp with, uh, what was it, Mignolet and Carrius. And, you know, it was the same situation. So these these players are going to cost you in big moments and you you get ruthless, you go in the transfer market, you make something happen and things change. Uh, I want to talk about Ben Chil and Reese James, we covered them in the first first yeah. part with Thiago Silva. But these players, for me, um, I think maybe we could have a debate on who's been the best performer for Chelsea so far this season. Um, because I know you lean in the direction of Reese James. I lean in the direction of Ben Chilwell. Um, but just generally, these two players have transformed our fullback play this year. I mean, of course, we saw glimpses of Reese last year, but... It's just incredible now to finally have modern-day fullbacks at Chelsea. I mean, uh, honestly, everyone's been moaning. Like, everyone's noticing the improvement in the defence. I've been saying since last season, until we see the proper fullback pairing, we aren't going to be that defence. You know, how many times were was poor positioning from an Emerson or Alonso too high up? Or Emerson just... I just don't know. that. Uh, is it the complacent arrogance that will just creep into his game for no reason? But he just does... He just mentally switches off. You know, you, you don't get that from the top players. From, from good players, of course it happens because they're good. You know, they can't consistently show that class. But when you go for the, the players above them, like your Benz, you literally see all the improvements and, and, and the differences. I do think that, of course, Ben and Reese, we, we have the balance now. We're able to switch the player a lot more efficiently. We have the quality. We have like a, a different um, way to break teams down because both players... You know, let's say one side gets um, uh, overloaded, we can focus playing on the other side. So right now, 
Lampard has the full vaccines warnings. And as I've been saying, there's a reason why Klopp invested heavily in that area by promoting people, signing the right figures, why uh, Pep Guardiola spent a ton of money since he signed for Man City, just improving that fullback area. You know, spending a stupid amount of money on fullbacks. They're so important today. You know, when you're playing against teams that, when you're a big team, small teams park the bus, use low blocks left, right and centre. You know, you need to have quality in every position in your team and, and especially out wide. And this is where the fullbacks now play such a crucial part in modern day football, where if you don't have that right balance, they can be the difference between you winning and you losing. Just due to things that your team shape being off or, you know, moments of terrible quality in the final third, where for God's sake, seeing these guys hitting crosses off the fields, near posts hitting the first man left, right and centre. Do you see how poor the crossing technique was compared to what we're now seeing with Ben and from the master, in my opinion, in Reese James. So this is what it's about. It's Football's always been about this and it will continue to be about these principles, basically. Mm. I think it's given us that extra dimension against low blocks, which was the big problem last season, how many times we'd be faced with a low block and we'd struggle to break them down. It's given us that option at the moment when teams try and crowd out our, or you know, try and uh, press, say, whether it's N'Golo Kante, Mason Mount, Kai Havertz, uh, Jorginho, that's where they're sort of focusing because they don't want the ball to get to our fullbacks. But I think now what you're seeing from Chelsea is we do have that ability to push Reese James and, and Ben really high. Um on the on the width and, and give us width against narrow defenses and that's allowing us to break them down and give us more options i think what's really impressed me about ben Chirwell and reese james and it's not the part of the game that i think people instantly look at i think both of them have looked so good defensively as well as offensively like they've given us that balance which is a, such a key word so far this season but yeah that's what that's the thing that stunned me i didn't expect ben Chirwell to be this good defensively like i didn't expect oh, yeah. him to you know, that's what something that has, I, I knew he'd improve our mobility there and improve us going forward and give us that acceleration that we needed there. But just, he seems to have that game intelligence already. I don't know if it's the players around him who were helping him in that, but what do you think? Because I think he's been really good so far. I think it's a combination of everything. I think like when you assemble a great team, everyone's strengths complement each other and then it, it becomes a combined strength. You know what I mean? I think with Ben, I knew that he was a good defender. I'm in the same boat as you. I didn't realise he was this great. And this is like the beauty of like actually watching these guys play more live. I, I don't know. Maybe it's like when you're a fan and you see a player play for your club. It's just like the, the veils get like uh, dropped and you can finally see things for what they are. You know what I mean? With Ben, he really reminds me of Ashley Cole. I, I, I That is honestly the one player he eerily reminds me of. And it's just like I see him do the things that Cole used to do back in the day when I used to watch him from the East End. Like, um, number one is how he tackles. You're saying, wow, this guy's a tackler. But you see that tenacity, that intensity. Like, when he gets the ball, boom, he's going straight, getting tight to his man. And then there's one hard, tenacious tackle to win that ball cleanly. Like Cole used to do. He wasn't, it wasn't like an Alonso who, you know, uh, he's annoying me all the time because I, I know what a fullback's supposed to be doing in this area. He'd be, like, chasing after the winger. When are you really seeing Ben Chirwell ever doing, having to play merry-go-round with a winger to finally hit the ball off him? Or even leaving that space for him to get done by? It doesn't happen. You see it in his qualities when he's uh, winning aerial balls. I was thinking, wow, how is Ben, for his height, winning these aerial balls left, right and centre? This is like, again, remind me of Ashley Cole, who was the very same when it came to being amazing in the air, but such a small guy. And then I realised when I was really looking at his game, 
Ah, oh, it's his technique. You know what he does? He comes in the side. And I, and I remember seeing this technique the first time for Michael Bag when he signed for us. I felt like the minute he did that, it was just so smart because, of course, when you're jumping in with your shoulder, you can apply more pressure to push the other guy, put him off balance. And if you're just good in the air naturally, then that's just going to take your aerial game to a different level. And I've always thought, how come when players go for aerial balls, you don't see them jump on the sides? You know, they use their like their body, upper body to their advantage to, to help them in those balls. But this is what the best players do. And I just think that, again, you know, Ben doesn't have too much. It's not like he has like tons of space he has to defend in because the unit of the team is very compact and very good. So... Yeah, man, it's just no surprise to me that we're just seeing his best qualities and why he's looking like, uh, for me, we finally got our replacement for Ashley Cole. After all these years, all these signings, all this money wasted, we finally signed a serious left back. Yeah, he's been class and I think he's almost been understated recently, but still excellent performances. Reese, I mean, I, I think the great thing about talking to you today was finally a Reese James cross that ends in a goal finally you know because it's been I, I think one day it's going to happen and um last night it was the perfect sort of moment where uh Reece James getting forward brilliant low cross and anticipation from Tammy to get across his man and then put the ball in a uh, very uh, clinically for me that should be a trademark Lampard goal I think that should be when we think of a goal under Lampard to me that should be like top like in terms of can you name me what a Lampard goal is like you can name a Pep Guardiola goal for Man City or a, a Liverpool goal that should be it for me do, do you agree because I think that's such a, yeah. a threatening area if we get it right if the anticipation and chemistry is there teams are going to really struggle to, to to deal with that those crosses because they're incredible yeah man keep spitting those facts I think that really is like a great thing you said that is like that quintessential Frank Lampard goal and uh, with Reese James, it was a matter of time before his crosses was going to get an assist. I think he's, he's it's actually been harsh for him because people haven't been profiting you know, from this amazing delivery that he's able to consistently bring every single game. Like when you can play like to such a high level every game, this has been your a special player. And I really think with Reese, out of all the players we've seen, I think that this is like the first proper super like world-class you know this is this guy could be someone in, in the future we're going to look back and it's like we can't not have a team without Reese James in the all-time Chelsea 11 because we've seen a lot of right-back performances Aspie Luqueta I've never seen Aspie put in this type of quality in the final third which is important I don't I know defending is great too but it's about everything together Vanovic was great but you just feel with Reese that they're you know Vanovic even though he brought so many great qualities there were slight limitations as well, offensively. But with Reese, there's no... I don't see any weakness in anything. I don't see any weakness early. I don't see any weakness with his pace because he's always in the right position to keep up with someone. I don't see a weakness in how he distributes the ball. I don't see a weakness in his tactical understanding. I mean, you see him instantly knows when to move into midfields to help give us numbers there, when to make the overlap. You know, when have you ever seen... And remember, we used to see this quite a lot in the Conte where Aspilicueta... And, you know, wasn't pushing forward in the final third. It felt like William was isolated all the time because Aspie was always behind the plate. That's probably due to Aspie as a player for why that happened and not because of the tactics. Reese, you don't have any of those issues. And again, I know, you know, the general consensus is that when you want to like, you know, talk about these players in such like a special light, you have to be like, you know, give them a few years and X, Y, Z. But I'm sorry, I've watched football for many, many years. 
I've seen many right-backs from Melchior to um, Jeremy even play games to uh, Paulo Ferreira to, uh, you know, Bosingwa, who was underrated, Aspie. I've actually seen so many right-backs, but for me, probably the most talented one out of all of them is, without a doubt, Reese James, who I think probably by the end of this season, I'm, I'm sure quite a few people in the fan base will see him as probably the best one we've had so far. And I just think that this guy will be a, a very important player in our history. I think the 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 thing about Reese is he's at Chelsea at the perfect time in terms of the style of football we want to play. I mean, I, I think that when you name all those, you know, right backs in terms of talent, I think they were very much suited to the team they're in, obviously, you know, in terms of being recruited. You know, Dave has been yeah. an amazing servant for Chelsea under Mourinho, under Conte, a very versatile player, Vanovic the same. Uh, but now you've got a player that's, it's not just like, it's it's the variety in crossing that amazes me of Reese and the quality of them because it's hard because he sh- like it's it's almost like a ten- a great tennis player with a serve being able to dis- disguise where he's going to put that serve you know because yeah. there's very many yeah. different techniques to hit a serve where he's going to put it and the best players like Roger Federer can disguise it uh, yeah. for the for the re- receiver of a serve and I think it's the same with Reese James when he's crossing it's very hard I think for a defender to know where that ball's going because sometimes like the one there it's a low cross uh, into the near post yeah. which is hard to defend sometimes it's almost like a half cross where it's like a you know it's it loops but it's a little bit lower so it can reach yeah. maybe the chest of Timo Werner sometimes it goes to the back post it's yeah. I know this is like a general thing in terms of crossing but to, for that player to have that at his age and to still think there's years in, of growth in front of him to, to really master that skill it's an incredible thing yeah. It is. It really is incredible. And, you know, that variety in, in the crossing techniques we're seeing, again, can you can you say you've ever really seen that from Aspie? Can you say you've really, really ever seen that from Ivanovic? I mean, we've seen for, you know, a good, you know, the past five, six years, the issues we've had down that right-hand side. And for me, from last season, I've been saying Reese has played and he's instantly upgraded that right-hand side. I mean, Reese, I think, was one of the main reasons why William was so good for us last season because finally... William had a partner in crime which he's never had since he signed for us because he's always played with a very negative fullback down that side. I just think that Reese James, for me, he could probably get in a team that had Lampard, Terry, um, Drogba. I think he's of that calibre. And it's not just the technique. It's just like seeing the man he is, the the, the character. You know what I mean? I think that's... It's those these types of mental tangibles that we don't normally give players enough credit for that play a big part in regards to how they are as players, why they do certain things they do, the confidence they have in game to attempt certain things. You know, from when Reese was playing at Wigan, I was like, oh crap, Reese is one of these guys. Like you can't, this is a serious pro. I'm just thinking you can't even grow a personality like that. It needs to be some in someone's nature already to have that. I just think, yeah, Reese for me, he would probably get back in that team with Terry Drogba Lampard easily and be, you know, performing on the same level as these guys. So, yeah, Reese James, for me, the best player this season because just out of the pure consistency that I haven't seen him play a 6 out of 10 game or even 7 out of 10, I'd probably say everything's like 7.5, 8 out of 10, consistently high, man. Just one more thing before we move on to the last subject. Uh, Reese James, of course, a lot gets brought up about Tariq Lamptey at Brighton yeah. and, and how well he's done. And it's a bit of a bittersweet situation, to be honest, but... You know, I feel that Reese's performances so far this season are really vindicating the fact that, you know, you've got to back Reese over Lamptey. It's a bit unfortunate. It's unfortunate for Lamptey that he came through at a time when we have two brilliant fullbacks. And Chelsea yeah. are developing a lot of great fullbacks at the moment. So I think we'll see the situation again uh, pretty soon if Reese is 
you know, dominating that position. And we may see Livermento may have a similar situation or, you know, other fullbacks as well. Maybe might even buy Lampsy back. Who knows? You I know, mean, mm. so yeah, what, what do you think I, about yeah. that whole situation? Because there's been a debate online about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I do think that obviously it's not even a debate. Reese James is the superior player. And that's not an insult. I saw to Tariq Lampsy. He's one of the best young fullbacks in this position. And it's no surprise everyone that's been watching our youth academy. And this is why it's so important, I think, as a Chelsea fan to really care about the academy. Because right now of the club, most of these guys you see, some of these guys be in the first team and some will actually be first team players too. So with Lamsey, he always had this really special ability of winning penalties where he was a penalty magnet since the youth academy day. So it's no surprise that that translated into the professional game. And... Um, you know, for his tenacity, for all his control, uh, his great defending 1v1, the thing is Reese is just a more complete player, as we've seen from the, the consistent quality of the crosses. You know, Lamptey doesn't do anywhere near close to that. And that's not an insult on him. That's just what it is. Um, I do think that um, Reese James's ability to just provide something more on midfield, I think the tactical options he gives us as well, yeah, how he defends, Airily, I mean, Lamptey doesn't win balls airily. You know what I mean? It's just all those types of attributes and metrics. I just think that Reese tops Lamptey in. But, you know, I think he's there for your players to consider because I think the reality is we are going to have to sign a backup fullback to compete alongside him because Aspie's not going to do it forever and Emerson and Alonso are going to be told to keep it moving soon. So... Yeah, let's see what happens. So the final subject, I want to talk about Hakim Ziyech because I know you've got so much love for this player. We're just speaking about Reese James and how much love you got for him. But I think maybe that's eclipsed by Hakim Ziyech. Um, and luckily <laughs> now we had to wait a little bit to see him finally start this season. But those two games against Krasnodar and especially against Burnley were incredible. I mean, just just I'll give you the floor now to talk about Hakim Ziyech because he, he looks so much an impressive player and he's going to add so much to our attack. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy that I've always wanted us to sign. And I knew that he, the qualities he would bring and why it'd be important for us. I mean, I, I always say this. I did a video on Eden Hazard replacements like a few years back. You know, seven players I think would really be the ones we should look at. I looked at guys like Insigne, Bervine, et cetera, et cetera. But for me, you know, I said out of all these seven players we're looking at, it's got to be Hakim Ziyech. I just think that he's like the perfect attacking player. Um, you know, he, his work rate isn't considered enough, but I mean, the guy's a pressing machine. He knows how to press too, not just running blinds to close down a guy. You know, he, he looks to close down the passing angles for the guys about to press. And obviously, he, he keeps his body position in a good way to encourage the rest of the team to, you know, press down a certain side together. So it's just those types of certain things that he brings alongside um, incredible creative ability consistent goals where he's getting double figures and goals every season consistently for God knows how long with the assists and match as well. He can play everywhere in the attacking line. He can play in midfield. And actually, one thing I noticed in the game versus uh, Ren yesterday was how our passing was a bit, a slightly slower midfield. And I realised afterwards, one of the main reasons for that is that against Burnley, having Kai playing, he's a one-touch player, Kai playing alongside Ziyech where they were able to switch positions where Ziyech can move into midfield and Kai can move down the right kept the fluidity going and I just think that um, I would like I want to see this more because I think when Ziyech is able to even come attack from deep in the middle as we saw against Krasnodar and as we saw against um, you know Burnley as well it just adds so much to the team and I just think that 
you know, Ziyech for me is a guy I looked at as being probably the best player in the team right now. We signed like a proper leader that's going to elevate what we do offensively. And it's no surprise that his performances have been reflecting that. But I do think if you really want ZX to be playing at a 10 and not like a 9 out of 10, then Kai is important just for that fluidity of their interchanging and just how quick the one-touch football is because that's important, you know. But I've always said Lampard's, you know, the modern managers like, you know, Lampard's, your flicks, your Nagelsmann's, et cetera, et cetera. You know, they encourage, you know, quick one-touch pass, not possession for the sake of it. And to do that, you need to have the right players that know when to move into space at the right time. You know, have that positive body positioning to release the ball to teammates as well. And um, I feel like basically the reason why I'm even giving you saying all of this is that, you know, against uh, Ren, I didn't think that, even though Ziek was very dangerous, he wasn't as dangerous as the other games due to not having a Kai. And maybe in the future, instead of maybe using like a Jorginho in the field, who I think didn't help because his passing isn't accurate. And it's funny because when I see Kansei playing switch balls for days, finding his man consistently nine times out of ten, that's always dismissed. But when Jorginho finds a player one times out of ten with a switch ball, that's just always just accepted for some reason. I just think that with maybe Ziek playing in the middle alongside Mason Mount and then alongside uh, Kansei behind, with maybe moving Hudson or Pulisic to the right wing would be probably the thing I would do whenever someone like Akai or someone isn't in the team. Because I just think that, unfortunately, you know, I don't think your Jorginho's and Covers, even though they're good players, I don't think they're on the same level now in this 4-3-3 team with the other guys, in my opinion. With, with Ziyech was last night, looking at his sort of average positioning. And of course, he was mostly starting on the right. He mostly spent yeah. most of his time on the right for a free Yeah, but, yeah. he sp- but he spent a lot of the time in that, as you've uh, said, you know, drifting centrally and that fluidity of movement within that front three in possession. And, and it really helps us. And that was something we were speaking about going into the season was, you know, how are you going to stop this team if, if you're playing against, unfortunately, we haven't seen Pulisic uh, as much as we want this season because yeah. of injury. But even Hudson-Odoi, I, I mean, I was massively impressed with Hudson-Odoi's movement against Krasnodar. I think he was getting yeah. up to some really interesting positions yeah. and I think that yeah. Ziyech could find him as well. Um, I'm just intrigued. You said about central midfield. I got asked a question about this on my video on Monday and m- my sort of fear about it was, can you play Ziyech as, say, a number eight in a bigger game? Is it a better is it a better ploy to use him there in a Burnley-type game? You know, because I, I do concern defensively if you have a free with Ziyech there as well you know do, do you yeah I know with what that? you mean I don't not really because again because I've always been such a massive fan over years you know I've watched games I've read a lot about him obviously every time the highlight clips I'm seeing what he's doing you obviously Twitter YouTube watching the games on Sky 2 when I can you know Ziyech is someone who's known for his offensive work rate. So I don't feel nervous about him playing centrally. Uh, I don't, wouldn't feel as nervous of him playing there as I would Kai Havertz. I think maybe Ziyech knows how to press better, to be honest. And as I said, you know, throughout his Ajax career, he hasn't played exclusively down the right. You know, he kind of moves to that position maybe like the final few seasons. A lot of times he was playing on the left-hand side. He was playing in the middle in a midfield three. You know, this is a guy that isn't just like some traditional cam. You know, I think those old school cams, are, they're gone now. I don't think we'll see them back anymore. He's a new style of uh, of attacking player. And as I said, I, no, I, I think him playing midfield is no different to uh, Kai, to be honest. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see because, of course, Kai, 
uh, sadly testing positive for COVID and we don't know how that's going to have the yeah. knock-on effect, you know, in terms of illness and stuff. I mean, hopefully he'll be back following the international break, but, you know, we don't know. And as well, injuries to other players, positive tests to other players. I mean, it's just a crazy yeah. season, isn't it? But um, with Ziyech, I mean, I think a lot of us, and I predicted myself, that I, I thought he, and I think he's going to be our chief sort of creator this year. Although I don't, he's got one assist so far. It was was it the assist against Burnley? Wasn't it the last goal? Yeah, that was his first. I think he's got like one assist, two goals basically. Mm. And if you count as friendly against Brighton, you can say another mm. assist there. I mean, I think it's getting him onto that left foot, isn't it? And we're finally starting to see for two games in a row now. We've seen Reese and Ziyech on that right side, and and I think yeah. that that's that's an exciting thing, is it? Because we wanted to see that sort of movement, and we're starting yeah. to see it. Of course. I mean, I think yeah. I mean. You know, like for me, so I mean, I always knew it was coming because this is why we signed these guys specifically. We weren't going to bastardize their game. You know, we were we just had to wait for them to for, for everything to just work to have these guys actually fit. For one thing, was it going to be a big uh, a big difference? But I mean, to be honest, it used to frustrate me how maybe short sighted some of the criticism was because we were complaining about things like, uh, oh, the midfield, and I'm not seeing any improvement. And I'm just thinking, well, you're not seeing the improvement because you're still seeing Jorginho and Quavo in midfield. You're still seeing Emerson and Alonso playing. And, you know, Lampard's not buying these guys to incorporate how Emerson and George are going to be in the future in this team. There'll be a thing of the of the past in the not-too-distant future. That is the reality. So it's just like we've got to, you know, understand what the bigger picture is here. We have to understand the reason why we look the same as last season is because we're using the same players from last season who are the reason. It's, it's, that's the highest level we could go to under these guys. It's not like this anymore. And I think, you know, if clubs even think that, oh, you know, we're predictable because Ziyech plays on the right-hand side, that'd be stupid because we've signed players who can play everywhere. Kai can do it. Werner can do it. Ziyech can do it. Our youth academy players have been doing that since they were making their names in the, in the academy. So... This is the modern football we've adopted and this is the club we're going to be. Final question, and I don't think I'll make this a title because I've spoken about him enough, but I think it's interesting to, to ask you about him. Uh, Declan Rice, because you did allude yeah. to it earlier. Um, we saw the story earlier this week about, um, I think it's from The Athletic, saying that Chelsea aren't giving up on Rice, which, you know, it's not, not exactly yeah. breaking news. Is I think a lot of us suspected that, but I think there, there was this thing about Chelsea lining up to permanent deals for first team players to be sold i predicted yeah. that was both rudiger and Jorginho. i don't know if yeah. you felt the same yeah um, i think i had like i think i'd like emerson and, and rudiger because they were like the yeah. two guys i remember but yeah, yeah yeah do you think in terms of january and, and because it's such a massive squad i mean there is that concern this season with covid that you could have two or three players taken out so that's why you need a bigger squad but at least one of some of those players who've been outcast i think will be leaving it on loan or permanently yeah then do you think that could make way for Declan in January or do you still think that's a move that could be next summer? I mean, it's going to depend on who we can sell. I think that that hasn't changed from the end of the transfer window. If those guys could have moved on, I think the deal for us would have been wrapped up, you know, on that day, to be honest. But um, yeah, you know, let's find out how we're going to sell these guys off. I mean, it doesn't help now that maybe some players won't get as many minutes as before. And is that going to affect their valuation potentially? But at the same time, you know, my thing is, is, you know, I'm not too sympathetic towards the club. You know, when you act so long, such a short term vision. And then, you know, for example, you know, signing your, your, uh, your Conte's, you know, you know what he's about. You know what he's about. Conte doesn't lie about who he is. He's a very, this is me, accept who I am and let's do this and work together. If not, I'm out of here and I'm going to, I'll be the one to tell you I'm going, you won't even tell me. 
I think that, uh, of course, we benefited from him, but long time didn't work. And Mitsari as well. I just think that Mitsari, maybe he was a bit too, not obsessed, but he was more cared towards his own principles. I mean, I'm sorry. When I was hearing nonsense about his side, even entertaining, getting the bids done for him, and the club even entertaining that idea, I'm thinking, for God's sake, we've got Reese James here. We're going to sign Husai, who's not even a world-class right-back for stupid money. We're not learning from last season. So, you know, now that these things are behind us, now that we've got these uh, things implemented right now, yeah, man, I just think that things are looking quite good. And, yeah, I, I think that I wouldn't be surprised if we win something this season, to be honest. Mm. What would you would you say? Would you, Are you going for a Premier League title? Would you think more like down the lines of FA Cup? I, I, maybe a, a cup competition, more likely. But at the same time, I think maybe with our football, how are teams going to cope against us now that we're playing in such a new way? Now that, you know, during very intense periods like uh, December, where you, you, don't, you don't really have get much time to work with the team on ideas and stuff, I feel that maybe that could boost us and give us an advantage. And yeah, you know, I, it's just, I, knew, I think we all knew what was going to come. It's just a matter of being patient and waiting is all we had to do. And now it, it feels like all the criticisms now. I'm sure if you try to find those accounts who are on, uh, is talking all their nonsense, they probably deleted all those tweets now anyway. So, yeah, things are looking good. I think patience was something that was so desperately needed at Chelsea over recent years. And, and hopefully we'll start to see it now on the Lampard. But thank you, mate, so much for coming on the channel once again. Great discussion. Nice, uh, great to have you on. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed watching it. Uh, as I do with all my guests, I'm pretty sure everyone knows where they can find your work but just so you let them know again remind them where can people find your your work online so if you guys want to find me on twitter that's at nini fc and of course on youtube blue lines tv obviously if you want objective thorough discussion that's you know some care and thought behind it you know just see even because I, I i think people appreciate that because you know sometimes you just want people like to have that type of figure where they can even bounce their ideas off you know what i mean and i just think that i, I like being that that voice for people and yeah that's basically it i haven't really thought too much about how i'm gonna like promote myself i, I never do to be honest i never think about that but yeah